Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm your host, Emily. I am a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. I'm here to share with you stories and conversations that explore the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways that we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives filled with meaning and expression. Powerful stories bridge the gaps between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. And I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm pumped to be here. And this is going to be a solo episode today because I was reading the book recently, The Power of Ritual by Casper Ter Tukuli. Oh my gosh, I butchered your last name. I'm so sorry. The book is called The Power of Ritual. It's written by um, a person who is a divinity school professor, I believe. Yep. And the co-host of the popular Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast. And as I was reading the book, it just struck me as interesting because um, the author was outlining the different ways that we connect to our spirituality and was mentioning how like um, physical, being physical together, like so doing something like a sport um, can connect people coming together to like build something together again, like with our bodies. So doing something in reality and then also combining that with like looking at things that inspire us, looking at poetry, uh, which is what many of the um, religious texts are. If you, you know, like look at the Bible, it includes um, historical counts as well as like poems, letters, that sort of thing, and coming together to read those, to interpret those, and to apply them to our lives, um, and then creating ritual or sacred space around that. Of course, I'm reading this book, <laughs> right, uh, with a podcast like Sacred Adventure Begin. But um, it just struck me as interesting, too, because the author mentions CrossFit gyms as sort of like modern temples, uh, modern places where people go to connect to each other, to have a sense of community, to have a sense of purpose, and to find meaning in supporting each other. And it just, if you haven't read the book, uh, I recommend it. It's an interesting book, and it outlines some ways to create ritual and meaning in your own lives. My interest in reading it was because I um, have been working on putting a, a in-depth learning environment, the mystical, spiritual, magical offering that I have, uh, which helps people understand and develop what a cosmology and a personal cosmology is and how those beliefs, um, be they solid or forming or in the process of being tested, how those enrich our lives. And it's like a, a year-long intensive. It's sort of like <laughs> it's like asking people to dive in the deep end of the pool with me, which I don't always want to do with new folks to, to my community. And I also wanted to create an environment where um, many of us could gather together and do things for our bodies, like yoga, like um, creating a simmer pot for our stoves, like meditating together. Um 
and then also where we could come together and discuss poetry, maybe even write poetry, talk about our meditations, that sort of thing. So I was reading the book a little bit to discover what this other perspective on the power of ritual outside of the context of religion was. And (laughs) I cannot tell you how big of a giggle I had when the author was talking about how they um, started a sacred reading of Harry Potter. Um, For those of you who perhaps need to hear this, I do not endorse um, transphobia or support J.K. Rowling in any way. I do, though, acknowledge that Harry Potter was an um, instrumental, interesting, inspiring part of my... Um, I wasn't even a child. <laughs> I discovered Harry Potter when I was like 18 at a friend's house, uh, and, and all the books hadn't come out yet. And anyway, I'm sure you've had your own experiences with Potter. <laughs> also, to add to the giggles here... I should tell you, we've been watching The Great Pottery Throwdown, which is for literal potters. Um, and I also do pottery, so every time I go to the studio or every time that show is on, uh, my husband in the background is always going, Potter! <laughs> All right, I'll stop. That said, I thought the book was interesting too because it combined or it talked about, it kind of gave me an, sorry, that is a lot. Let me form it into a complete sentence for you. It gave me a way to integrate this longer learning environment with my like shorter month long things. And it did that by providing me with language and words around what exactly it was I had been doing with people for, I don't know, the past four years. Um, And that is, I've been gathering people together to have inspiring moments around myth. Um, I talk about a lot of uh, deities, what they tell us about ourselves, um, what the culture that created them, um, what their values are. We don't necessarily um, take beliefs on, but we look at them and ask what they, how they ask us to look at ourselves, how they ask us to connect to our humanity, how they inspire us, that sort of thing. And I wanted to share with you what one of those sessions looks like. Um, This month in March, partially inspired by the writing of this book, I like finally put together a kind of like a learning environment and academy that combines all these things. It's um, a sacred text reading. We call that a reflect and connect, uh, which is what you're going to hear today, uh, along with um, community shares and also mentoring and mentorship, um, which is the part that I'm particularly excited about. Because I deeply miss being in the classroom with actual live students, at least teaching art, talking to each one about their personal voice. And I am intending to do that online now. So people can sign up for short amounts of time to visit with me, to talk about their lives, to ask the questions that they have, to ask for intuitive readings. They're going to get access to me directly every month, um, which hasn't been something that I have necessarily had in a um, smaller investment environment like this. So I'm I'm pumped about it. I'm pumped about serving a larger community. I'm pumped about all the parts of it um, and really excited just to be present with it and experiment with it. Um, Yeah, so I wanted to share the Reflect and Connect with you. This month we are talking about um, our passions 
And uh, we're using the myth, um, the story, the bedtime story of Snow White to start dipping into that concept and to start sort of reading more deeply into that. And here that is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Reflect and Connect. I am so glad to see you here today and to be with you. Today we are in the month of March. (laughs) I had to pause for a minute there. And we're thinking about our passions and the things that really light us up in life. I thought we could start this reflect and connect with a fairy tale or a cultural myth that has a little bit more than meets the eye and one that we're all familiar with, which is Snow White. So I thought we could start with a translation of the beginning of the grim fairy tale, and it goes a little something like this. Once upon a time in midwinter, when the snowflakes were falling like feathers from heaven, a queen sat sewing at her window which had a frame of black ebony wood. As she sewed, she looked up at the snow and pricked her finger with her needle. Three drops of blood fell onto the snow. The red on the white looked so beautiful that she thought to herself, if only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood in this frame. Soon afterward, she had a little daughter who was as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as ebony wood, and therefore they called her Little Snow White. And as soon as the child was born, the queen died. So I'm going to pause from the translation there and just summarize the story for most of us. So what we start with, number one, is this like beautiful child who was desired and wanted being born into the world, and then the mother creator figure dying immediately, which is curious and interesting if I can go ahead and just jump right into a deeper meaning for us. Like, For how many of us is the creator ultimately an unknown creator? And how long does it take us despite the fact that like multiple... Um, wisdom, traditions, and teachings tell us we are desired, our life is full of purpose, we have meaning, we're wanted, we're needed, that sort of thing. Like, How many times do we often let that um, bounce off or sort of ignore that message or not even allow ourselves to feel that? So we have a story that is starting deeply in that, like in this manifestation of this beautiful this beautiful child, this beautiful thing, and then the um, ultimate disconnection from that creator once the act of creation has occurred. So we all know Snow White's father goes on to marry um, another woman who becomes the evil queen. I love evil queens and Disney fairy tales. And if you all haven't seen yet Disenchanted, I mean, obviously watch Enchanted, but also watch Disenchanted. It's hilarious because the like protagonist becomes the evil queen. Um, so much fun. So much fun. Anyway, so we have a second mother, not the creator, the nurturer, the one that brings the child up in the world that is essentially a jealous and destructive force who possesses a reflective mirror that always tells her the truth, that cannot lie to her. So 
This character sends Snow White with her huntsman, instructs him to kill her. He takes her out into the woods, decides like he can't kill such a beautiful thing, um, comes back, lies to the queen. She finds out from the mirror that Snow White actually, having been abandoned in the forest, has found her way through the forest, through the mountains, to a cottage where there are seven dwarves who are taking care of her, which is also interesting. And I also think in the Disney fairy tale, which is not in the original Grimm fairy tale, if we have time at the end, I'll read the entire Grimm fairy tale to you, um, the translation of it. And I'm there are links in this um, that show you where that translation came from in case you want to look that up and like get a second translation, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, so, sh- so Disney's genius here is that they name the dwarves, the place that Snow White, the um, protagonist of this story, and somebody that we could sort of like relate to as us, uh, finds her saviors in her initial um, sort of home, her initial place of rest and care, and they are all named after body functions and emotions. Sneezy, dopey, um, (laughs) happy, all of them are named after the things that are often like subconscious elements of our awareness. And it's interesting that when Snow White, who could be said to be our awareness in this story, takes retreat there uh, with them. It's also curious to me and beautiful and interesting that they work underground, right? They they exist in a place that is like subsurface. <laughs> Anyways, um, in the Grimm story, there are multiple trials. Like the queen comes multiple times to try to... Um, kill Snow White, essentially, to try and make her no longer in competition with Snow White for the regency, for uh, beauty, for the things that we value in women. And uh, finally, she does succeed. And the Disney story is just the single apple (laughs) that gets her. And so what we have then is Snow White falls into a death-like sleep. And the the um, dwarves can't stand to not keep her around. She's so beautiful. She's not decaying. So they put her in a glass coffin. And eventually, a prince that she had sort of dreamed up earlier, like um, kind of had a glancing awareness of earlier, comes, sees her, decides this is such a beautiful being. I have to be with it. And... Um, when he kisses her in the Disney movie, that's when she wakes up and marries him and they uh, ride off into the sunset. In the Grimm story, as we all know, uh, it's a little darker, um, but he decides to take her in the coffin and as he's having his men carry the coffin away, um, her body falls out and the piece of apple that is lodged in her throat that is keeping her asleep, this magic apple, um, falls out and she wakes up and they get married and they invite the queen to their wedding, the evil queen to their wedding, and they have her dance until she dies, which is um, intense and also interesting. So if we were to do a deeper reading or if we were to ask like what, how could we apply this to our lives? I know that like on surface level, we could say things like, oh, um, Disney's reinforcing this idea that um, princesses always need a prince in order to um, rule their own kingdom, in order to step into their power, in order to fill their life destiny. And I 100% agree that like, 
in choosing stories, Disney could maybe do a better job of this or a better job of hinting at what the underlying meaning is. But actually, and this is, I think, the beautiful thing about doing a deeper reading, a deeper level meaning, um, a deeper analysis of what could this mean in terms of like spirituality or in terms of what our awareness is, or even you could ask this, why do stories like this, like that involve sleeping, that involve woods, that involve evil queens, (laughs) um, or evil mothers or absent mothers, why do these stories show up again and again and again in human tradition, in human mythology? And I think if we like start to read down into them and look, we get at some kernels of truth and some lessons and ways of thinking about ourselves and our lives that we could utilize and that can open us up to feel more deeply. So let's start in there with this. One of the things that um, strikes me about Snow White is how often they describe her as like pure and beautiful and innocent and how like deeply um, manifested and wanted and um, cared for she is in the story, even despite the fact that she's um, being exiled from her place of origin she still ends up with uh, bodies and emotions uh, in retreat within herself or within the woods, within the greater world where she discovers her body and emotions and then essentially um, falls asleep and then comes back to herself when love enters the story, um, which is interesting. But what, and this is a question for you, if you want to journal along or if you just want to think about it, um, what is the innocent beloved part of you. And you could also phrase this as, what is the part of you that's just longing to be loved, that just wants to be loved like purely or without reservation? In what ways have you sort of <laughs> abjugated your role as the lover of that person? So... We're going to start with you. Uh, What ways do we maybe not love ourselves? What ways do we maybe push away our innate goodness? Okay. So in what ways essentially do we become the evil queen? And one way you could look at this, and I was thinking about this earlier when I mentioned that you have the role of a creator mother who is unknowable um, because she is gone the second Snow White comes into the world. And then we have the role of the nurturer, um, which turns out to be, like I said, a very antagonistic role in this story. But as awarenesses growing up, what ways when we separate from like all knowing, <laughs> all being uh, infinite, uh, infinite existence to become the singularity that is us, What ways do we step into a world that nurtures us both well and also poorly? What ways do we absorb from the world? What ways and things do we absorb from the world that are antagonistic to us? Essentially, the question here is, what ways do we learn to dislike ourselves? What ways do we learn to judge ourselves and also others? And it's interesting, too, that for me, when I read this, I very much see the um, evil queen, the stepmother, uh, the evil stepmother, (laughs) as a character that 
is representing our shadow self or the part of us that we reject uh, because she has that element of rejection and also because when we're sort of coming into awareness and we're like not completely in control of her, she is running the show. She is running the kingdom. She has access to the mirror of truth. Like she sort of is that like part of us that is uh, like essentially uh, bringing about our reality. And like I said, uh, running the show, maybe from the shadows, but definitely running the show. And it's interesting, again, if you read into the Grimm story, uh, the multiple ways that she tries to sort of get rid of Snow White. Also, I think we could read some significance into. She gives her a comb. Um, She tries all sorts of things before landing on the apple. (laughs) It is also interesting to me, too, that uh, when those things are removed from the body of Snow White, um, she comes back to herself. I'm just going to let you like take that in for a second. So like, what do we absorb from our community that does harm to us, that separates us from our awareness, that puts us into like a sleep? And then knowing that that never is part of our true selves, how does um, and or how can we have that removed from us? How can we separate that from ourselves eventually and come back to our true self? Um yeah, that's that's a big one. So a question, another question for you could be, what do we accept from the universe that seems maybe even good at first? And then we find out that it's not, that it's doing us harm. And examples of this could, could extend all the way into um, having subconscious beliefs, uh, like white supremacy kind of thing, or even having subconscious belief that you are not enough. Um, and how does that prevent you from going places or doing things or doing what you want to do or following your dreams or really listening to your spirit in that way. The other question that I have for you in the story, there's multiple interventions in the, in the grim story. So the, the dwarves come home, they pull the, um, cursed comb out of Snow White's hair. She wakes back up. Um, the prince in the Disney story finds her in all her beauty in a glass coffin in the woods and um, jostles her, gives her a kiss. That kiss wakes her up. But what ways can we combat the evil queen in ourselves? What interventions do we have available to us, both from within us, like the dwarves, like our emotional health, our um, body health, our body care, um, but also maybe even like things that get introduced to us from the outside world. And I like to see the prince not as a love interest, as in like another person that we fall in love with, but as a um, passionate thing that holds our interest and that we can be completely in love with and devoted to. And this could be something like the pursuit of truth. Uh, This could be something like the pursuit of beauty if you're an artist. This could be something like uh, nurturing if you you love to cook for your family. This could be, you can see where this is going, but this, (laughs) this could be anything. This could be like a love of science and a desire to prove and know and test. But what are the things that your soul um, is lit up by, that your heart is open to, that you are absolutely in love with? And we can also say this too, that that is attracted back to you, that is affirming to you. 
And take a second just to sort of think about that. And I have a couple more questions to maybe help us go a little bit deeper here. So if you are journaling with this, it's great to hear the question, hit pause, write it in your journal. It's also cool to just sort of think about these things. So the first question, if I was having you journal with me, is what is the innocent you? What is the desired you? What is the soul you? And what experiences in your life have shut down or attacked this part of you or made you feel not worthy? The next thing is, if we look at the huntsman, what are the protecting agents that have arrived and helped you along your journey? And this could be a big one. What is the metaphor of the woods and the cabin in the woods and the dwarves? What does that like mean to you? What does that feel like to you? What does that look like in your life? And I love the quote in the Grimm story that they also included in the Disney one, which is so beautiful even in death that the dwarves made this beautiful like coffin for her so they could still see her so she could still be part of their lives. And so like what sort of like innocent dreams, what sort of parts of you have you never fully let go of? So sometimes some of us also move away from the things that we desire. Um, Maybe we were growing up and we loved, I don't know, collecting crystals. (laughs) And then we learned that that was silly. Or we had someone in our life tell us that's not okay, or that makes us weird, or whatever. So we stopped doing it. What are those things? What are those those innocent loves, those innocent, innocent attractions that you've never fully let go of? And where is the space within yourself, within your psyche, that you sort of keep those things enshrined in? For example, if you grew up wanting to be an astronaut, where does that desire and love of space and maybe even rockets exist within you now? Like maybe you just like smash Discovery Channel shows on space travel. Like what is that for you? And which of these sort of dreams, these sort of innocent selves these things that we desire, um, which of them would you benefit from reawakening in your life? That's a big one, right? A lot of people tell me, and maybe you've experienced this too, that they don't know what makes them happy. Uh, There's nothing that, that gives them passion. And this is one of those places that you can start sort of mining this information from. So, Where do you in your life feel like there is something or someone that ignites your imagination, that lights you up with energy, that inspires you to become more aware and to do some learning? If your answer to that question is still like, nothing, Emily, nothing gives me joy. (laughs) Number one, I love you and you're not alone. And number two, There are so many um, ways to get help out there that I highly encourage you to head over there. But one of the ways that I also recommend, obviously, I'm a big fan of therapy. I don't know if you all have noticed that. Uh, Definitely see a therapist, see someone, make sure that what you're going through isn't also chemical and can't be helped um, in that way or through another form of therapy. Um, 
But one thing I like to start doing, if you're saying nothing makes you happy, is to start connecting the body into the body's senses and asking like, what is pleasurable? So you might not know at first. And it might be something like you rub lotion into your hands with awareness and you think about the way your touch is warm. Um, and you start reinvigorating from the body, just like Snow White does in the story, which is interesting. Um, and start there. Uh, others of you may have just like made a total giant list <laughs> for this. So that's great. I hope there's lots of things out there that you love. For me, I love gardening, plants, art, all that kind of stuff. Um, it gives me energy and it makes me want to learn more. All right. The next question is, what could allowing the feeling of your love, your passion, and your awakening from that, what could that bring to your life? And how could you allow it sort of to return to you the way the prince returns to Snow White in the woods? And the next question is kind of a big one, but like what specifically does this feel like? And if you're just listening, if you're not writing, great. But give me some like good juicy words and I'll give you a few of mine. And the reason I'm having you do this is so that we have as a group a pausing moment to allow that feeling to come in and to use words to describe our feelings. So I'll give you an example. I love flowers (laughs) and I've been doing a lot of art like pottery that is making vessels that will hold flowers well um, or in interesting and new ways or allow them to be supported from the vessel itself, not just like the dollar vase that you can get from the dollar store. And then I've also been putting um, impressions of flowers into the clay so that it has all of these like connections to flowers. And I tell you what, like plants are so interesting to me. And I've actually been considering either taking a like botany course um, at a local university, like um, auditing it because I don't, I have two masters. I don't want to go back to school right now. <laughs> But I've also been considering taking flower arranging classes at a local like college for flower arrangers, which is like absolutely brilliant and I love it. Um, and, and I've been thinking about doing both. So when I'm feeling that way, I feel like elated. There's something sort of warm in my heart. I feel it in my neck. I sort of feel a warmth and an energy, like a bouncing kind of excitement. Maybe you can hear it in my voice when I talk about <laughs> When I talk about flower arranging classes, and I I can tell you that the evil queen for me would be the part of me that is like, why are you going to waste money on this? Flowers are so expensive. You're going to spend a bunch of time on this. You're going to get really into it and get obsessed with it. And like, it's not going to make you any money. Like that would be the evil queen voice that happens in my head <laughs> when I go to approach these sorts of things. So then how does uniting with the passion, how does Snow White and the Prince coming together um, create the environment in which the shadow, the evil queen, dances herself to death in, right? So how does that create an environment that is so jubilant that those sorts of sounds, those sorts of thoughts, those sorts of destructive emotions can no longer exist in? And then how does that bring to to the the power couple, the um, desire for and the expression of that desire, uh, how does that bring to them essentially the mirror of truth, right? So questions for you moving 
forward would be like what regency agency or directorship could you take in uniting and bringing yourself together with your dreams, with your passions, with your value, maybe even with that, like, again, innocent part of you or beautiful part of you that Snow White represents. And in terms of your queendom or kingdom, what steps could you take to ignite this passion? How could you show up for the innocent you? How could you show up for the passion? What parts of you would celebrate this union? What parts within you need this to happen, right? Desire it. What ways can you release your evil queen? What is your evil queen saying about this? And what ways can you engage with maybe even protective entities? So one of the things uh, like the huntsman, um, what other relationships would inspire this? So for me, I could even potentially invite a friend to take the class with me so that I have a little bit of um, someone who will keep me accountable and who will go along because um, community motivates me. And then what is your queendom or kingdom? Like, what is it? What do you rule when you are with and in your joy and in your passion? And most importantly, when you're fully in love, fully in love with yourself, fully in love with your life, fully in love with what you're doing, fully in love with your emotions, with your uh, body, all of that kind of stuff. So these are the questions that I take into a reading like this with Snow White. (laughs) And if you wanted to walk away from this discussion, maybe with a little more sort of questions and with a new way of approaching either like watching the Disney film or reading it in the grim or one of the grim translations. A couple other questions I have for you to consider are this. Um, Oftentimes in spirituality, we talk about life being a mirror of truth to our inner world. So the experiences that we have outside of us are a mirror to the experiences we're having inside us and vice versa. And so what and what does this mean for us when we read the story? Like who has the mirror? How is it, how is it being used? That sort of thing. And I actually think that if we call the mirror the outside world, reflecting back to us truth, then everything that happens in the Snow White story is a story of an internal struggle, right? Which which changes the meaning like completely when you watch it or read it. The other thing that I would love to hear your thoughts on, to hear your feedback on, is if you do read the Grimm, what do you think the meaning of the ways that the evil queen t- tries to get rid of Snow White are? So first she tries to have the protector do it. Um, She tries with a comb. She comes back, I think, three or four times. And each of those times, it's a different tactic. So what does that tell us about the way that our shadow self or the things that we reject about ourselves or the things that we learn are wrong about ourselves from the outside world? What do those tell us What do those approaches tell us, not only about how we might be affected and how we see ourselves, but also (laughs) what do they tell us and how we might combat 
uh, the voice of the evil queen or the influence of the evil queen in our lives. And I, I'm not going to break it down for you. I would love you to have some thoughts on that as well. And feel free to email me, share them with me, share this episode, uh, think about it, rewatch Snow White and just have a juicier, richer experience with it. And the biggest and I think final question here is what is this myth asking of you? Is it asking you to change? Is it asking you to do more of the same? Is it asking you to grow an awareness? But like for you personally, what does thinking about the story of Snow White inspire within you? So if you want to go really, really far into this, I also recommend doing like an inner child practice, maybe write your Snow White self a letter of love, a letter where you take on the role of the prince, the person who is saying, yes, I'm here. I want to be with you. You are my awareness. You are uh, the things that are beautiful about me, and I am going to choose to empower you. So that is what I have for today. If you are in the getting into it learning community, there'll be a place for you to um, post your responses about this. Um, If you're not and you're interested, that'll be linked in the show notes too. Um, Thank you so much for being here. And I hope you enjoyed this reading and this reflection. Since we do have a few minutes, I'm going to read you the original story. This one is translated by D.L. Ashleman, 2002 to 2005, and is on the website uh, sites.pitt.edu backslash dash backslash grim053.html. And again, I'm going to have that linked for you. So here we go. Once upon a time in midwinter, when the snowflakes were falling like feathers from heaven, a queen sat sewing at her window, which had a frame of black ebony wood. As she sewed, she looked up at the snow and pricked her finger with her needle. Three drops of blood fell into the snow. The red on the white looked so beautiful that she thought to herself, if only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood in this frame. Soon after, she had a little daughter who was as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as ebony wood, and therefore they called her Little Snow White. And as soon as the child was born, the queen died. A year later, the king took himself another wife. She was a beautiful woman, but she was proud and arrogant, and she could not stand it that anyone might surpass her in beauty. She had a magic mirror, and every morning she stood before it looking at herself and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in the land is fairest of all? To this the mirror answered, you, my queen, are fairest of all. Then she was satisfied, for she knew that the mirror spoke the truth. Snow White grew up and became even more beautiful. When she was seven years old, she was as beautiful as the light of day, even more beautiful than the queen herself. One day, when the queen asked her mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? It answered, you, my queen, are fair, it is true. 
but Snow White is a thousand times fairer than you. The queen took fright and turned yellow and green with envy. From that hour on, whenever she looked at Snow White, her heart turned over inside her body. So great was her hatred for the girl. The envy and pride grew ever greater, like a weed in her heart, until she had no peace day and night. Then she summoned a huntsman and said to him, Take Snow White out into the woods. I never want to see her again. Kill her. And as proof that she is dead, bring her lungs and her liver back to me. The huntsman obeyed and took Snow White into the woods. He took out his hunting knife and was about to stab it into her innocent heart. When she began crying, saying, Oh, dear huntsman, let me live. I will run into the wild woods and never come back. Because she was so beautiful, the huntsman took pity on her and he said, Run away, you poor child. He thought, The wild animals will soon devour you anyway. But still, it was as if a stone had fallen from his heart, for he would not have to kill her. Just then a young boar came running by. He killed it, cut out its lungs and liver, and took them back to the queen as proof of Snow White's death. The cook had to boil them with salt, and the wicked woman ate them, supposing that she had eaten Snow White's liver and lungs. The poor child was now all alone in the great forest, and she was so afraid that she just looked out at the leaves on the trees and did not know what to do. Then she began to run. She ran over sharp stones and through thorns, and wild animals jumped at her, but they did her no harm. She ran as far as she could, and just as evening was about to fall, she saw the little house and went inside in order to rest. Inside the house, everything was small, but so neat and clean that no one could say otherwise. There was a little table with a white tablecloth and seven little plates. Each plate had a spoon, and there were seven knives and forks and seven mugs as well. Against the wall, there were seven little beds, all standing in a row and covered with snow-white sheets. Because she was so hungry and thirsty, Snow White ate a few vegetables and a little bread from each plate, and from each mug she drank a drop of wine. Afterward, because she was so tired, she lay down on the bed, but none of them felt right. One was too long, the other too short, until finally the seventh one was just right. She remained lying on it, entrusted herself to God, and fell asleep. After the dark, the masters of the house returned home. They were the seven dwarves who picked and dug for ore in the mountains. They lit their seven candles, and as soon as it was light in their house, they saw that someone had been there, for not everything was in the same order as they had left it. The first one said, Who has been sitting in my chair? The second one said, Who has been eating from my plate? The third one, Who has been eating my bread? The fourth one, Who has been eating my vegetables? The fifth one, Who has been sticking with my fork? The sixth one, Who has been cutting with my knife? The seventh one, who has been drinking from my mug? Then the first one saw that there was a little imprint in his bed and said, who stepped on my bed? The others came running and shouted, someone has been lying in mine as well. But the seventh one, looking at his bed, found Snow White lying there asleep. The seven dwarves all came running up and they cried out with amazement. They fetched their seven candles and shone the light on Snow White. Oh, good heaven. Oh, good heaven, they cried. This child is so beautiful. They were so happy that they did not wake her up, but let her continue to sleep there in the bed. 
The seventh dwarf had to sleep with his companions one hour with each one, and then the night was done. The next morning, Snow White woke up, and she saw the seven dwarfs, and she was frightened. But they were friendly and asked, what is your name? My name is Snow White, she answered. How did you find your way to our house? The dwarves asked further. Then she told them that her stepmother had tried to kill her and the huntsman had spared her and that she had run the entire day, finally coming to their house. The dwarves said, if you will keep house for us and cook, make beds, wash, sew, and knit, and keep everything clean and orderly, then you can stay with us and you shall have everything that you want. Yes, said Snow White, with all my heart. So she kept house for them. Every morning they went into the mountains looking for ore and gold, and in the evening they came back home. Their meals were ready. During the day, the girl was alone. The good dwarves warned her, saying, Be careful about your stepmother. She will soon know that you are here. Do not let anyone in. Now the queen, believing that she had eaten Snow White's lungs and liver, could only think (laughs) that she was again the first and most beautiful woman of all. She stepped before her mirror and said, Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? And it answered, You, my queen, are fair, it is true, but Snow White beyond the mountains with the seven dwarves is still a thousand times fairer than you. This startled the queen, for she knew that the mirror did not lie, and she realized that the huntsman had deceived her, and that Snow White was still alive, when she thought and thought again how she could kill Snow White. For as long as she was not the most beautiful woman in the entire land, her envy would give her no rest. At last she thought of something. Coloring her face, she disguised herself as an old peddler woman that no one would recognize her. In this disguise, she went to the house of the seven dwarves. Knocking on the door, she called out, Beautiful wares for sale, for sale. Snow White peered out the window and said, Good day, dear woman. What do you have for sale? Good wares, beautiful wares, she answered. Bodice laces in all colors. And she took out one that was braided from colorful silk. Would you like this one? (laughs) I can let that honest woman in, thought Snow White, then unbolted the door and bought the pretty bodice lace. Child, said the old woman, how you look. Come, let me lace you up properly. The unsuspecting Snow White stood before her and let her do up the new lace, but the old woman pulled so quickly and so hard that Snow White could not breathe. You used to be the most beautiful one, said the old woman and hurried away. Not long afterward, in the evening time, the seven dwarves came home. How terrified they were when they saw their dear Snow White lying on the ground, not moving at all, as though she were dead. They lifted her up, and seeing that she was too tightly laced, they cut the lace in two. Then she began to breathe a little and a little, and by little, she came back to life. When the dwarves heard what had happened... They said, the old peddler woman was no one else but the godless queen. Take care and let no one in when we are not with you. When the wicked woman returned home, she went to her mirror and asked, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of all? And the mirror answered again, you, my queen, are fair, it is true, but Snow White beyond the mountains with seven dwarves is still fairer than you. 
When she heard that, all her blood ran to her heart because she knew that Snow White had come back to life. This time, she said, I shall think of something that will destroy her. Then, with the art of witchcraft, which she understood, she made a poisoned comb. She then disguised herself, taking the form of a different old woman. Thus she went across the seven mountains to the seven dwarves, knocked on the door and called out, Good wares for sale, for sale. Snow White looked out and said, Go on your way, I am not allowed to let anyone in. You surely may take a look, said the old woman, pulling out the poisoned comb and holding it up. The child liked it so much that she let herself be deceived and she opened the door. After they had agreed on the purchase, the old woman said, Now let me comb your hair properly. She had barely stuck the comb into Snow White's hair when the poison took effect and the girl fell down unconscious. You, specimen of beauty, said the wicked queen. Now you are finished, and she walked away. Fortunately, it was almost evening and the seven dwarves came home. When they saw Snow White lying on the ground as if she were dead, they immediately suspected her stepmother. They examined her and found the poison comb. They had scarcely put it, pulled it out when Snow White came to herself again and told them what had happened. Once again, they warned her to be on guard and not to open the door for anyone. Back at home, the queen stepped before her mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of all? And the mirror answered, You, my queen, are fair, it is true, but Snow White, beyond the mountains with the seven dwarves, is still a thousand times fairer than you. When the queen heard the mirror saying this, she shook and trembled with anger. Snow White shall die, she shouted, if it costs me my life. And then she went into her most secret room. No one else was allowed inside. She made a poisoned, extra poisoned, apple. From the outside, it was beautiful, white with red cheeks, and anyone who saw it would want it, but anyone who might eat a little piece of it would die. Then coloring her face, she disguised herself as a peasant woman, and thus went across the seven mountains to the seven dwarves. She knocked on the door. Snow White stuck her head out the window and said, I am not allowed to let anyone in. The dwarves have forbidden me to do so. That is all right with me, answered the peasant woman. I'll easily get rid of my apples. Here, I'll give you one. No, said Snow White, I cannot accept anything. Are you afraid of poison? asked the old woman. Look, I'll cut the apple in two. You eat the red half, and I shall eat the white half. Now the apple had been so artfully made that only the red half was poisoned. Snow White longed for the beautiful apple, and when she saw that the peasant woman was eating part of it, she could no longer resist, and she stuck her head out and took the poisoned half. The queen looked at her with a gruesome stare, laughed loudly, and said, White as snow, red as blood, black as ebony wood. This time, the dwarves cannot awaken you. Back at home, she asked her mirror, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? It finally answered, You, my queen, are fairest of all. Then her envious heart was at rest, as well as the envious heart can rest. When the dwarves came home that evening, they found Snow White lying on the ground. She was not breathing at all. She was dead. They lifted her up and looked for something poisonous. They undid her laces. They combed her hair. They washed her with water and wine, but nothing helped. 
the dear child was dead, and she remained dead. They laid her on a bear, and all seven sat next to her and mourned her and cried for three days. They were going to bury her, but she looked as fresh as a living person and still had beautiful red cheeks. They said, we cannot bury her in the black earth. And they had a transparent glass coffin fashioned so that she could be seen from all sides. They laid her inside and with golden letters wrote on it her name and that she was a princess. They put the coffin outside a mountain and one of them always stayed with it and watched over her. The animals too came and mourned for Snow White, first an owl, then a raven, and finally a dove. Snow White lay there in the coffin a long, long time, and she did not decay, but looked like she was asleep, for she was still as white as snow and as red as blood and as black-haired as ebony wood. Now it came to pass that a prince entered these woods and happened onto the dwarf's house, where he sought shelter for a night. He saw the coffin on the mountain with beautiful Snow White in it, and he read that written on it was her name in golden letters. He then said to the dwarves, let me have the coffin. I will give you anything you want for it. But the dwarves answered, we will not sell it for all the gold in the world. Then he said, then give it to me for I cannot live without being able to see Snow White. I will honor her and respect her as my most cherished one. And thus he spoke, the good dwarves felt pity for him and gave him the coffin. The prince had his servants carry it away on their shoulders, but then it happened that one of them stumbled on some brush, and this dislodged from Snow White's throat the piece of poisoned apple that she had bitten off. Not long afterward, she opened her eyes, lifted the lid from her coffin, sat up, and was alive again. "'Good heavens, where am I?' she cried out. The prince said joyfully, "'You are with me.' And he told her what had happened, and then said, "'I love you more than anything else in the world.' Come with me to my father's castle. You shall become my wife. Snow White loved him, and she went with him. Their wedding was planned with great splendor and majesty. Snow White's godless stepmother was also invited to the feast. After putting on her beautiful clothes, she stepped before her mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is fairest of all? The mirror answered, You, my queen, are fair, it is true. But the young queen is a thousand times fairer than you. The wicked woman uttered a curse, and she became so frightened, so frightened, that she did not know what to do. At first she did not want to go to the wedding, but she found no peace. She had to go and see the young queen. When she arrived, she recognized Snow White, and terrorized, she could only stand there without moving. They put a pair of iron shoes into burning coals, and they were brought forth with tongs and placed before her. She was forced to step into the red-hot shoes and dance until she fell dead. And that's the end of the story. There's so, so much richness and interesting details in there that we could continue interpreting and talking about until we're all blue in the face. Um, I'm curious number one, what your takes on the stepmother are. And also, as I mentioned before, um, the different ways she tries to kill Snow White are interesting, Um, especially if you see them in the light of ways that uh, society restricts us and judges us and encourages us to um, compare ourselves to find our own value. 
and then how um, how she goes at the end is also, I think, gruesome and interesting. So um, have some thoughts, <laughs> stir that over, formulate some theories, write them down if that feels good to you. Otherwise, I, again, wanted to say thanks for being here, and hopefully I will see you and share interpretations and experiences with you soon.